I always describe data sonification as basically being just like data visualization, except instead of representing the data through visuals and bar charts, you're representing it through sound. everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York City where I do research in data visualization. That's right, and I'm Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And in fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. Yes, and on this podcast, we talk about data visualization, analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. And that's the same today. But just before we start, very quick note, our podcast is listener supported. There are no ads. So if you do enjoy the show, please consider supporting us. You can do that with either recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories, or you can also send us one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. Yes, and I also want to thank all those of you who are already subscribed on Patreon or sent us some donations via PayPal. This is so useful, and thanks so much. So, um, Moritz, I think you have a brief update from your side. You want to talk about one of your projects. You've been doing some climate climate visualization type of work? Yeah, it's true. Not myself, but in fact, yeah. So I'm a freelancer, so usually I do projects, but I also teach occasionally workshops <laughs> or uh, in this case, uh, a course in the digital media program at the Arts Academy in Bremen, where I live. And it's an interdisciplinary program um, between university and the art school, which is kind of nice. I always enjoy that. And uh, we, in February, we looked at if we can find new ways to visualize climate change or anything around climate change. And mm -hmm. um, like the, the goal was really to go beyond heat maps <laughs> alone <laughs> or, you know, make another like super red map and <laughs> think more about like spatial or temperature ways or uh, tangible ways yeah, to talk mm. about climate change. And there were really, really cool results. Like the students had just a few weeks, but we had a few really cool projects. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, we had data sculptures, you know, woven, interconnected uh, with threads and meshes. Very nice. You could look at them <laughs> from all sides, basically a big interconnected naughty uh, mess <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> or we had ice uh, actual ice uh, representing the change uh, in extent of the arctic ice so <laughs> the students 3d printed molds and and then pour, uh, like made some real ice as an interface as well and as a visualization and yep. there was also a sonification project so katja striedlmeier one of my students she uh, was looking at the change when the apple trees start to bloom and that's becoming earlier and earlier and she made a little sonification of that data which I really really enjoyed because she also took a, an analog music box mm -hmm. like these little things with a you know the, that you can uh, how do you say it? the handle you can spin and then yeah, it, it will pull yeah. through like these I saw it. sheets of paper yeah. <laughs> yeah and I can play in fact yeah I can play a little uh, melody that represents the shifting yeah. apple blossom in German Go ahead. if you want yeah so the higher the pitch shifts the, the earlier in the year 
uh, the apple blossom uh, begins. And it's actually, it's a couple of days that it has changed over the last uh, 30 years or so. So it's, it's quite substantial. And then it begins again. So it's a loop. Anyways, yeah. So I got thinking about sonification again, and uh, which is such a cool way to deal with data. And we, we did have an episode on sonification in the past. You might yeah, remember, Enrico. One of, yeah. one of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was lots of Scott people. Hughes, and, and he <laughs> took uh, the gravitational waves data. Um, yes. And directly turn it into sound. Super crazy. <laughs> yeah, yes. It was yeah. a funny one. And I think people really enjoyed it. And I yeah. think it's a perfect way to start the episode for today, right? So we have on the show uh, another person who is really an expert on sonification. And she's Anna Davis. Hey, Anna, welcome on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So can you briefly introduce yourself and tell our listeners what is your background and uh, what kind of work you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm Hannah Davis and I'm a generative musician and researcher based in New York City. And I do many different types of projects in music and machine learning, subjective data and sonification. But basically, I think I can summarize my work by saying that I do artistic experiments with data. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and you you have a lot of like it's not uh, exclusively sonification work, but a, a big part of your work uh, deals with turning data into sounds in some form, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I think you also have a quite unique approach there, um, uh, which which I found really interesting, and which we'll hear uh, more about in a minute. So. Um, just to lay out the field, some people might not even be familiar with the whole idea that you could turn <laughs> data into sound and, and why that could be a good idea. So can you lay out the, the field a bit, like what is sonification, are there different types, what is it particularly good for, or how does it also relate to, to visuals maybe? Mm -hmm. I always describe data sonification as basically being just like data visualization, except instead of representing the data through visuals and bar charts, you're representing it through sound. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, the way I generally think about it is that there's three main types of sonification. So that's audification, which is directly converting data to sound, like in waveforms, mm -hmm. um, just interpreting the data as amplitude over time. So what Scott used it with the gravitational waves might be might be in that field where exactly. he took the data, the exact like wave data and just made it audible directly, right? Exactly. And that can be really interesting. And I think that's where a lot of people get into sonification. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is kind of parameter mapping. So you do this in data visualization also, but it's you know mapping a value of the data to a component of the sound where your focus mm -hmm. is really on highlighting the data. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third one, which I'm mostly interested in and have been increasingly interested in is music generation. Um, so this is kind of the same as parameter mapping, where you are still mapping values of the data to components of the sound, but the focus is not necessarily on um, showing the data clearly, but on instead creating interesting music. So it could also maybe have non-data-driven components, it could have more complex um, and hidden mappings, mm -hmm. and the yeah, the point is really to create something that's interesting to listen to. So, if we think back to like how it relates to visual visualization, maybe 
the parameter mapping is like if you do a really super clean Tufty-esque chart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like really think about, <laughs> okay, what's the mapping between data and and sound and, and no other decoration or no other texture, right? Right. And f- with the music generation, maybe you have a bit more liberties and you, you work a bit more on the emotional level. Um, mm. Yes. Uh, maybe it's the a sort of form of illustration almost than, uh, rather than just a pure... Absolutely. Um, or art yeah. creation even. Right, right. But sound is really interesting because it, it has its own strengths um, mm-hmm. compared to visualization. Like the fact that it's temporal and that it n- is naturally multidimensional and you can you can carry a lot of data dimensions in it. Um, it's great for like pattern finding and cyclical data and data that has these like repetitive structures like you just played. Yeah. Uh, with mm-hmm. the blossoms, because that creates really interesting, naturally um, repeating music. Um, it's great for small units, for streams of data, and it's really unique. And then what's most important to me is that it's naturally emotional and it can move the listener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's kind true. of like it excites different parts of the brain and it seems to be like strongly connected to the emotional part, right? Exactly, and very intuitively and you have too. to listen, right? And it's like <laughs> yes. it's not the fact that it it unfolds over time. It means that you, if you wanna experience it, you have to spend time, right? So exactly. This, you yeah. kind of have to learn its own language, you know. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So shall we listen to a few more examples? Yeah, yeah. what shall that. we play? What shall we play? I have a whole like <laughs> browser here with lots of tabs open. <laughs> what should we go into? But why, do, why don't we start with examples of um, what the three categories, right? Well, maybe for odification, we already, I mean, our listeners can go back to our episode 75, right? And hear what we did with Scott Hughes. Mm-hmm. Right. I can right. Pl- briefly play one of his examples. It? Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yes. So, so it's two objects moving past each other in space. The gravita- gravitational waves in this case are loud when the small body moves close to the large body, and they're quiet when the small body is far away. So you can learn about celestial bodies and how they re- relate to each other and what the effect is on the waves. Oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're close to a supernova type event. Yes. Oh. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you really get a different sense of yes. the forces, right? I, I think. It's, yeah. 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 So that would be, yeah, artification directly taking wave data, turning it to something wavy, sound wavy. Um, second, the parameter mapping. There's a great classic example from Amanda Cox and team at the New York Times, uh, where they looked at the results of different, like, race. Uh, uh, outcomes in, in sports, right? At the uh, must have been the Olympics or something. Do you remember, Hannah, what it was? Yeah, it's the speed at which Olympic athletes cross the finish line in relation to each other. Right. And I love this piece because it comes with a visualization, and you you can see how close they are, like in little circles. But mm. the sonification it yeah. of it, it really does it justice. You really understand just how <laughs> you know they're separated by milliseconds. Right. Shall I play it? Let's play. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So first one is women's 1,000 meters. 
Wow, super close. <lacht> ja. Men's 1000, I guess. Ja. Women's 500. Men's 500. <lacht> yeah. It's amazing. There. <lacht> And it, what it does, it also, in this case, it gives it the real scale. Like the chart could be, could have any width, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But the sound is like, how do you say that? It's like on the actual scale. It's one to one. It's right. Like It's the actual no transformation. Right? Yeah. And that's super powerful. Yeah. And music generation, yeah, I think, I guess then your, your work comes in, right? <laughs> Because that's, that's what you do a lot. <laughs> that is mostly what I do. Yeah. Um, so this is my favorite music generation piece, which is um, by James Murphy from LCD Sound System. And he actually took uh, tennis data and focused on creating interesting music from it. And so he's doing um, multiple mappings. It's not necessarily a one-to-one -one mapping, like parameter mapping usually is. But he's using things like the the court, the tennis score, the opponents, um, the temperature outside to just mm -hmm. create this kind of long piece. And it sounds really compelling. So it's almost more like a portray of the whole match, basically, right? Exactly, than, exactly. Than this exact um, data depiction. And he has cool sounds. He, he knows how to work yes. his sounds. Yeah, the yeah. samples are great. <laughs> Nice. That's, That's really beautiful. Music, right? <laughs> yeah. It could totally be Apex Twin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, piece is really compelling. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I always want to know what parts are influencing what, but mm, yeah, I wasn't mm -hmm. able to find anything about it. But I think that's okay. <laughs> Just accept it for what it is. Yeah, but when, you listen, when we everything. listen yeah. to your pieces, you can tell us what, is, what yes. influences what, right? <laughs> yes. We'll tell your tricks. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So tell us a bit about your work. How did you get started and, and what are some of the key projects you have been working on? Sure. Um, so I actually got interested in sonification through a data visualization class um, mm -hmm. in grad school. And we did one week on data sonification and it just stuck with me. Um, and the first sonification I did was this uh, sonification of different authors' writing styles. If you want to play that, we can... Mm -hmm. I could, yeah. So it was a couple different authors, and uh, basically each note here is a syllable. Um, the higher notes represent more descriptive words like adverbs and adjectives. Um, so this is Hemingway, I can already tell. He has no descriptive words. I think this is David Foster Wallace, who just has these mm -hmm. long run on, but really 
really rhythmically beautiful sentences. And I actually loved that last one, which is an excerpt from Virginia Woolf's The Waves, um, which we'll come back to because I recently did another piece based on that same text. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I basically worked with this project for um, maybe half a semester, and I found it just really interesting. But at the end of the day, I thought a lot of the uh, pieces sounded the same because there, so there are only so many variables that you can play with grammatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started really thinking about you know, why do people actually read books? And uh, the obvious answer is that, you know, people read it for the emotions. And so I started getting really interested in seeing if basically I could translate um, emotions between mediums, if I could translate the emotions um, or the emotional data from the text into an emotional piece with the same kind of underlying feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that led to this project called Transprose, which I worked on for quite quite a while, um, years. And um, this was kind of the foundation of my sonification career. Mm-hmm. So I basically used what's called um, an emolex, an emotional lexicon, and <laughs> um, which is a great name. And yeah, that alone <laughs> is, is super cool. <laughs> I think its full name is actually... Uh, word emotion association lexicon, but it's it's a little too long to say. (laughs) Um, But it's an amazing resource. It's basically uh, 14,000 of the most common English words tagged Mm -hmm. with eight different emotions and Uh then two emotional states, positive or negative. That's great. um, Tagged using Mechanical Turk. Right. And so basically I would use this resource to go through and get these, you know, large, beautiful splines of emotions um, representing a piece of work, a a novel. Mm -hmm. And then I would use that data and map it to different components of the music. Um, And it took a lot of experimenting and, you know, I tried a lot of things that didn't work, but um, most of the iterations ended up, you know, mapping the octave to... um, like positive to negative ratios or joy to anger ratios. Um, the, the pitches were basically based on uh, a interesting mapping that I found worked, but isn't particularly intuitive, mm-hmm. which is that um, I mapped low emotional counts to more consonant notes and high emotional counts to more dissonant notes. Uh Mm -hmm. And so what this actually ends up doing is that the plot of the novel is heard not in literal events, but in the emotional representation of events. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked that that mapping quite a bit and stuck with that for a while. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like it could be a soundtrack while you're reading. It could be the fitting soundtrack to what's going on. Is is that sort of the goal, more or less? Not really, because I found that because you need kind of a long running average to have it be, (laughs) you know, accurate. Um, Basically, a novel could be reduced down to a piece that was like one to two minutes long. Ah, true. Yeah. So the Um, timescale is totally different. Exactly. Exactly. I have done some more uh, like real time pieces, but Mm -hmm. for this project, that's what worked. Okay, cool. So uh, shall we listen to a few examples? Yeah. Yeah. Shall we do Peter Pan first? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. (laughs) That's on the light end of the spectrum. 
it's nice. It sounds very like light-footed. <laughs> it's cute. Could like yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like a children's children's piece. Mm-hmm. So uh, remind me the high pitches. What do they indicate? Um, high emotional count. Ah, so right. high emotional activity. That was Peter Pan. Hannah, can I ask you, I'm just curious, how do you decide which notes to play? Um, So that's the consonance dissonance mapping I made for myself. Um, Basically, I took a whole scale and then rearranged it based on what I personally thought was um, most consonant to dissonant. Mm-hmm. And this is always a thing. I, I grappled with it a lot, especially in the beginning, because I wanted, you know, this like objective uh, mapping or representation of, um, you know, the feeling. But this just is what worked for me. I had tried so many other scales. Like, I think the most naive approach that is is kind of a common first approach is, you know, mapping low emotion counts to low notes on the scale and high emotion counts to high notes on the scale. Mm-hmm. But um, that doesn't actually sound interesting over time because then you just get a lot of low notes and occasional high notes and they don't have any really musicality or music theory behind it, if that makes sense. It sounds a tiny bit random. Mm-hmm. That's always the danger. Yes. <laughs> yes. That it sounds a little bit random. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because you still have to create something that makes sense, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I avoided randomness for a long time. None of the TransPro stuff has randomness mm-hmm. in it mm-hmm. at all. Um, mm-hmm. I've only just recently started to come around to it again. <laughs> but it's very structured randomness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear a few more examples so we get a sense of the range, what's possible. Yeah. Next one is The Road. I haven't written that. I haven't read that book. What is it about? It's a very dark post-apocalyptic, uh, really, really dark. I think it's basically the story of a father guiding his son through the apocalypse. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll press play. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, it does sound dark. <laughs> this one is also not active at all, um, which right. you can also hear, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's a tough read. This must be a tough read, right? <laughs> wow. dramatic (laughs) I think there is at some point yeah yeah it sounds like at least in the middle yeah something's happening that's good (laughs) (laughs) there's some hope somewhere (laughs) yeah I think so (laughs) nice Really wants uh, makes me want to read the book though. It's no, no. Want to see? If it <laughs> That's not what most people position. say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this uh, this last one I really love because 
it's the story of a man doing really, really terrible things in a really happy tone. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the music uh, captures that. We, we can let our listeners guess. We, we play it yes. first and <laughs> you oh, can smart. guess what it is. We'll reveal it at the end. Yeah. so fitting actually <laughs> it is. especially yeah, because end. Bach also plays a big role in the book right or, yeah 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 and so it's totally I don't know it's it's, it's a really good match it's like March music as well and then it all comes together at the end. It really changes. <laughs> so that was a Clockwork Orange, Anthony clockwork Burgess. Orange, yeah. A Clockwork yeah. Orange. Pretty good match. Did you tweak that so it fits a bit better? Um, so actually, the same algorithm made all three of those pieces. Ah, so no hmm. interference from you. No. Ah. There was interference at the beginning when I was just right, generally right. trying to find the yeah. boundaries for novels, mm. but yeah, I've also yeah. done some other text projects with the same software, and I've basically had to change the mappings between mediums. Mm-hmm. So I did a piece mm. based on news articles, and that was very different, so I changed it then. Um, I did I sonified the 2016 uh, presidential debates, and that mm-hmm. was very different from mm-hmm. novels, so I changed it then, but... I was very curious in seeing if I could find this underlying, like, true model, which I have since <laughs> <Yeah>. discarded. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's such a huge challenge to take something as fuzzy as a text and then yes, tr- trans- totally. trans- transplant it in this whole other domain and then using algorithms. I mean, it's an impossible task to start with, right? It's a but lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I think it's, it's amazing how how far you got there and it's like how, how how interesting that also relates to the original work i think that's thanks that's, uh, yeah i, I, I love these, these of types concept. of reframings of existing stuff if you think about it differently it's, it's so cool yeah. <laughs> totally yeah yeah so what and so th- this yeah you said it took you a while there, there's it's all up on music from text there's there's more like different novels you have mm-hmm. sonified there's also videos that show you a bit how the exact mapping between the text and, and the sound is, which I found really helpful to understand what's going on. So you should definitely take a look there. Um, so what are you up to now? Um, so right now I'm doing so many things. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I'll talk about what I did recently, which was um, a really fun project for the Synthbeats Laptop Orchestra uh, based in New York. And um, <laughs> how, how many laptops are in this orchestra? Uh, it was six for them. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was my uh, first time composing for Laptop Orchestra. And it great. was great. Modern times. Yeah, yeah no, it was it was fascinating. Um, I mean, I, I had known about, there's Plork, the Princeton Laptop Orchestra, and there's the mm-hmm. Stanford Laptop Orchestra, but I, I hadn't realized there was one here too. Um, <laughs> but I actually, after a little while, actually years of um, not working with grammar and text, I turned back to my first sonification in a way and created this piece called Percival. Mm-hmm. And this actually fleshes out that whole excerpt from Virginia Woolf's The Waves. And um, instead of, 
well, sorry, the computer basically creates an underlying track where each note is mapped to each word. So it's a very, very simple mapping. But then each laptop performer added one additional component. Um, ah, okay. So one was the text conductor just to move the text along and control the pacing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I had one person um, play a flute where there was dialogue. Um, I had one, I had two people, uh, play elation and loss, basically being these real time sentiment taggers. Um, so those were both mapped to, um, corresponding notes to kind of create elation chords or loss chords. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a one person play the triangle, uh, for percussion, um, basically on the syllables before interesting punctuation. And then I had just one person to be an emphasis on where I thought the text uh, needed just a little boost. And so I think it worked. Uh, you know, I could always do some, um, you know, workshopping, but it was really beautiful to see. And I liked seeing other people's interpretation of, mm-hmm. you know, the same kind of components that the computer is usually interpreting. Right, so it was right, a nice like yeah. turn on its head in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And what was the input for the performance? Was it the text or did they have like a cue track of sorts? No, it was the text. The text um, itself. Yes, and they exactly. would decide if something would fit into what, what they are supposed to do, basically. It, exactly. Right? So I had for example, That's the cool. elation and lost people, I had them yeah. um, basically only press their or only play their samples when they felt like the specific passage evoked elation or loss. Right. Um, and sometimes it would be at the same time because it's a extremely beautiful, complex piece about um, this man who has just had a child and his uh, one of his very good friends has died. So it's there's a lot of complicated and simultaneous emotions, and I've always found mm-hmm. it really interesting. Yeah. That makes so much sense because sonification is often just seen as this mechanical music production, right? Or mechanical right. sound production, but music itself is, is performed, right? So absolutely. Why why not go all the way? Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally definitely agree. Yeah. I'm trying to do much more. Um I, I think I end up talking about my work much more than I perform it or have it performed. And this mm-hmm. year in particular, I'm trying to um switch the stage pretty literally. Into doing more, uh, more live stuff. Little world tour. <laughs> I'm hoping to. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Let's listen to a bit of the the Percival piece. Probably it's too long to play the whole one. I could imagine. Thank you. 
great. It's really interesting to listen to. Thank you. And and would the audience would they also read the text or is it supposed yes. to be like in parallel, like consume the text and the music? Yes, I actually made a visualization where um, the text was coming up, uh, either mm -hmm. one or two sentences at a time. And so the mm -hmm. audience could read it along. Actually, when I hear it now, I, I was reading it so much that I hear the word for each note. Oh, yeah, that's um, nice when it starts <laughs> to tie together like that. Yeah, yeah, I think it was important because uh, that was the intention of the piece. And I think seeing how the text really does give it the structure, and especially with the pauses around punctuation, um, gives it this beautiful flow. I wanted the audience to be able to understand that also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, maybe zooming out a bit. First of all, super fascinating work, and I really like like the angle you take there with like, okay, how can we work in the emotional expression of the whole thing and just Thank instead you. of just like making an audio chart, you know, yeah. which, is, which is fine too. But it's it totally I, I just is. love I just love your approach there. Thank and you. So can you like you've been doing this for many years? Can you like let's say somebody gets started in the field, like, or would be interested in experimenting a bit? Can you first maybe tell us a bit about, in your experience, the types of things that work versus that don't work so well, or where you were challenged with and felt like, oh, this type of thing is hard to do in audio, and other things are, are nicer or easier? Yeah, of course. Also, maybe how many things you can listen to in parallel, you know, or, <laughs> or all these like yeah. practical things. Right, right. Right? Um, those are so all really any good tips questions. you can share. We're, we're happy. <laughs> The thing, the two things I always tell beginners to um, kind of avoid in the beginning is uh, are just really personal biases. Um, there's no reason you actually have to avoid this, but uh, <laughs> I do say avoid audification um, mm. because I think mm. that it will it will limit you if that's where you start thinking about the mapping because it's so literal. And good mm. mappings, I think, really have to be thoughtful. Um, you have to really think about what in your data maps to different emotional musical components because every musical component conveys something different. You know, like mm -hmm. low mm -hmm. octaves definitely convey slowness or um, sometimes negativity. And mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to map that to like, I don't know, like like birth rates or something. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. So really thinking carefully about your mappings is something I always uh, say. Yeah. And then similarly, um, I think it's good to start by mapping uh, higher values in your data to higher notes on the scale and vice versa. But at some point, you generally want to move away from that unless you have a type of data that really works. Mm -hmm. um, so I yeah. think actually one area this really works is in climate change uh, sonification, where mm. low notes do map pretty well to low temperatures and high notes map well to high temperatures, mm. Um, mm -hmm. especially after they start getting like to a certain level. Like you, you start doing, you start hearing that, that shrillness um, and it kind of feels panicky in a sense. Um, if that makes sense, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. But other things I would suggest, I always recommend get, getting your basic statistics of your data. Um, <laughs> I do a ton. Start from the basics. <laughs> right. I mean, I some people don't do this, but I do a ton with um, mapping from the average. You know, like like maybe mm -hmm. I'll only do something if it's one or two or three standard deviations away from the average, mm, right. and that also. Yeah 
creates this like variability in your piece that makes it kind mm -hmm. of not stagnant. Mm -hmm. um, I think I didn't do that with a lot of the earlier pieces and they're, mm -hmm. they're less interesting for that reason. Mm -hmm. So make um, sure you extract already a really strong signal before you even go to the sonification. Yeah. yeah like, like have an understanding of the structure of your data. Right. And that's mm. that's also another thing I would say is you usually data has so many structures that you can kind of pick and choose from. Mm. Um, like, you know, if you have, I mean, a lot of data has both an event and a time. Um, and you can, you want to think about which one you want to use for the underlying structure. Um, so mm -hmm. like most of my work has this emotional underlying structure, but You could use time as an underlying structure. You could have, um, sorry, when I say that, I mean that, you know, maybe one, one second will be one beat or mm -hmm. one month will be one beat depending on your data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you could also have an event based underlying structure where each event is a beat. Mm -hmm. Um, and that mm -hmm. changes the whole piece. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, so thinking about what about your data is consistent enough to make it the uh, structure of your musical piece is really right. important. Right. So that's also the rhythm, basically, or the speed you, you set. Yeah, the speed. Definitely. Yeah, just have one X axis. That's I just realized that. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you really want to think about so what's you, on you it. You want to put it to good use. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> It's a good way to put it. I've never actually thought yeah. about it like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a visual guy. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Ah, these are great tips because I think, yeah, as you say, often people start with, oh, let's map all IP addresses to the sound spectrum. And then they're maybe a bit disappointed that, that it doesn't deliver like any patterns. But Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? And so mm, thinking I mean, about what you want to extract and how you represent it is, is key. Yeah. Exactly. And all data does have a structure. That's the other thing I would say. Like mm -hmm. the, the UFO pieces I sent in or I put in there were basically showing that point, like, You would kind of assume UFO sightings would be totally random data and not mm -hmm. have any underlying context. But actually, the the underlying structure is that most UFO sightings are found at night. Um, so you do get this kind of rise and fall in your musical pieces because uh, there's nothing during the day, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah, one thing I wanted to ask you is, so I think the same way in visualization you can identify a number of visual channels that you can use to map properties of data to properties, visual properties, right? So say, I don't know, size, size, position, color, and so on. So is there an equivalent when you are trying to build a, a music piece out of, out Absolutely. of data? Yes. I think the, the main ones are probably um, your key particularly whether it's major or minor, um, mm -hmm. yeah. your instruments. I've worked a lot in piano mm -hmm. because I want the melody itself to be um, emotional before I add instruments, but mm -hmm. instrument mm -hmm. choice in itself is a really good mapping. Mm -hmm. um, volume is a really important one. Tempo mm -hmm. and octave are vital. Uh, they change mm -hmm. the shape of the whole piece. Mm -hmm. um, the note length and the note all of the note lengths in relation to each other and the particular mm. ones right. is yeah. a really interesting yeah. one. So many options. And of um, course they so interact. 
<laughs> they interact a lot, right? Exactly, but, uh, exactly. Uh, but you can get a ton out of just those on their own. Um, you know, you can have really active low pieces or um, really slow low pieces, and those are totally different outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. And then also working with samples. You know, I do a lot with MIDI and actually creating pieces that sound like actual instruments, but uh, working with samples is really fun too and mm. um, can create their own kind of soundscapes. Nice. So we should talk a little bit about how do you actually do that in practice? I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners would like to try it out, right? Yeah. So in practice, when you when you actually want to realize it, what, what tools do you use and how does it look like? What are the steps there? So for me, I my favorite pipeline, I guess, is probably MIDIUtil. Um, I'm a Python person, so... That's kind of my go-to. Um, in the past, for either Java or older, the older version of processing, I really recommend Jfug, which is a mm -hmm. Java, Java library that really has a ton of uh, music theory um, and really solid documentation behind it. Hmm. Um, in JavaScript, I recommend JS Midgen to generate MIDI. Or mm -hmm. if you want to work with samples, I I grew. I mean, I basically learned programming on processing in P5, so I would recommend the yeah. P5 um, environment for working with samples, especially for real time sonification. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. A lot of what I do are are full compositions where I generate the whole thing and you know wrap it in a sound font, and then it's a full piece. But um, I think a lot of people working with sonification do more real time stuff. And so I think yeah. P5 can be really exceptional for that. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you mentioned uh, it's two-tone. I haven't tried it out, but I've heard so many people say that it's a really exciting new direction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, two tone. You can also use if you if you don't know how to program. You can. It's a browser-based app, and you can take existing data and pick instruments, and then say how do you want to map the data to. To properties of of that instrument and uh, like the pitch or whatnot, yeah. and it's it's like in five minutes you can make a sonification. That's <laughs> yeah. I think that's fantastic. that's very cool. So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great start yeah. Yeah. for sure. Um, I think and then if you want to customize it more, you'll you'll have to get probably into the programming side. But just yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, play yeah. around and prototype, it's super cool. It yeah. sounds good yeah. at least to start thinking about it because I, I think yeah. there's been definitely obstacles to sonification involving pipelines. Um, yeah. So it's cool oh, yeah. that that's out there yeah. now. So I'm, I'm curious to hear literally about the mechanics of how you do that, right? So say, I guess you, you write some code, mm -hmm. then at some point you, you'll have to listen to what you get out <laughs> of it, right? Yes. <laughs> so. And then you have, I guess you, you need to go back yeah. and change what you don't like, right? So can you briefly describe how yes. this works? <laughs> so basically, yeah. uh, I have a Python script that does all of the mappings and... Um, creates a MIDI with any of the libraries I just mentioned, um, usually mm -hmm. MIDI util. And yeah. then I have a little bash script, um, that uses FFmpeg and, um, a sound font and just wraps it really quickly in a sound font and turns it into an MP3 or WAV file. Mm -hmm. And then I, I can just double click that and listen to it. Um, I see. it's real, it's pretty fast, like to generate any piece in Python, you know, takes, maybe half a second or mm. less. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. even though that sounds kind of like an annoying pipeline, 
Uh, it's not that horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it is hard to um, to keep listening to like sounds and variations of the same sound again, right? It's, oh, it's for kind sure. of difficult to at some point to judge anymore, like what, what even works. Absolutely. Not, right? Yeah, I did yeah. this one client project where, um, yeah, basically I think they gave me a day and I had been working on it uh you know, the whole day, just nonstop on the same pieces. And I just like, I sent it to them thinking it just was not good. And they loved it immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man, it's yeah. just so yeah, hard to tell. Um, yeah. So this, I, I think now I'm curious to hear if you have one of those, if sometime you have one of those creative missteps where, I, you make a mistake, but the mistake is beautiful, so you decide to, oh, to keep yeah. it there. Right? Absolutely. Actually, uh, I think in the, the last link I sent you, I'm, I'm actually recording this album called uh, Siren, Sailor, Sun, and mm -hmm. I put a piece on there called Moby Dick, which was generated from Moby Dick. And mm -hmm. um, there were actually two huge errors. The first was like I was off by half a measure in my calculation. <laughs> 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 so... But it sounds amazing. And then the yeah, second yeah. thing was that it was before I, um, before I knew Git. And so I actually lost the rest of the mapping that basically <laughs> created my favorite piece from this, this time period. Oh my um, God. Which yeah. is so sad, but at least I have the piece. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. I would say it makes most it of it. even the, more precious in a way, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. ethereal. Yeah. Wow. This is fantastic. Yeah, I'm yeah. super excited now to to dig through all this material. There, cool. There's also a fun project, which is not like music generation, but more another creative way to working with sound that we, we could close with, actually. <laughs> it's the, the laughing room. Oh, Can yes. Can you tell us a bit about that one? I think yes. it's a good way to end the show. So this is a, <laughs> this is a project from um, Johnny Sun, who's a writer and comedian and... Um, a really funny Twitter person and I, and basically it's a room that was embedded with a um, neural network that was trained on the transcripts of stand-up comedians, uh, <laughs> particularly women and people of color to kind of like decrease the amount of sexism and racism that the algorithm um, would have. But basically right. you would go into this room and uh, you interact with your friends or anyone else who's in the room already, and the algorithm laughs when it kind of um, hears something worth laughing at. Uh, it, it was a I very, can see all kinds of applications for that, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely the best project I did last year. Um, super, super fun. <laughs> Cool. I think we'll just play that on the way out. And, and before you hear it, we'll just say thank you so much to Hannah Davis. This thank was you so much for having me. And, thank you. Um, I hope a few of our listeners are now really super psyched about Sonification. We'll send we us all so kinds too. of cool compositions in like three weeks, please. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much. And we'll, yeah, you can find all of Hannah's work on her website. We'll put the link in the show note. It's hannahisheer.com if I'm correct. Correct. Yep. Um, and we'll hear the laughing room to close. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thanks so much. Why does Darth Vader like his toast to be burnt on one side? Why? Because he prefers the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got applause. Applause. <laughs>
Why did Aquaman sleep with a nightlight? He was afraid of sea monsters under his bed. Okay. Is that funny? The AI doesn't have a sense of humor. Can an AI have no, a sense of humor? It was laughing at Helen's face. I don't know. That yeah. is a can yeah. sense of humor. And it was laughing at like socially appropriate times. It's a little delayed. It understands us. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.